Teaching Brute. Today, we are talking about the language of Responsive Classroom. Yep, continuing our Responsive Classroom series. And now here's the thing. As a teacher, you're kind of like, well, I taught, I used language to teach, like, what's the big deal? Yeah. But in actuality, it is the little things, like the words we choose, that make a huge difference. Yeah. Now, right off the bat, I'm going to plug a book that uh, Responsive Classroom releases called The Power of Our Words. It's a really, really good book that talks a lot about this. We're going to talk about some of this stuff in brief, but this word, this book is phenomenal for um, how you respond to and how you talk to your students. So really putting a plug on that book in particular if you're looking to strengthen or potentially uh, liven things up or change things up with how you talk to students. Yeah. And here's the thing. i got to say, personal experience here. Going in to read the book for specialist teachers, I was like, well, I mean, my language is overall pretty positive in the classroom anyway. I don't know that I'm actually going to learn anything new. But in actuality, there were quite a few little minor things that I discovered that made so much more sense. Yeah, and it's the... I think teachers have a bit of arrogance behind this one or potentially think they're they're good with what they are. When there are the nuances make all the difference in the world. Yes. Um, and the one thing to that responsive classroom says is that, yes, you want to be positive, but you don't want to be overly positive. You don't want to, like... Build the, kill, build the kids up for something that's just a straightforward expectation. Yes. In other words, if they're doing something like getting into line in the proper way, you don't want to cheer them up for saying, good job for getting in line in the right way. No, that's an expectation of you got to line in the right way. So we're kind of going along, get into the language that goes along with that because there is language that does go along with behaviors like that that will still convey, convey what needs to be conveyed. Without giving kids... Um, Make it, helping kids feel not letting kids feel down, mm-hmm. or at the same time letting kids know that that was an expectation, versus you know right. I, and I, because eventually you stop praising them for being in a good line, and then they wonder why they don't get praise anymore. Right. Um, so there's two types of language that response class really emphasizes. One of them is reinforcing. The other one is reminding language. And we're going to start with reinforcing language. Yeah. So. Reinforcing language is when you notice what they're doing well and you're naming what they're doing well. Yeah. Um, you use those words of recognition and that actually can inspire the student to reach for the next level. Yeah. Now, reinforcing language has a few distinct characteristics. Uh, they're concrete, specific behaviors. They point out approximations that lead to mastery. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can be followed by a question. Uh, they apply to all the students they emphasize description over personal approval, and they reflect important goals and values. Yeah. So one of the things that you could use, just as an example, saying something like, all of you are taking turns today, just like we practiced. Yeah. Um, or um, if a child has been having a struggle, has been struggling to raise their hand to speak, and they do it one day, just say, hey. I've noticed you've been raising your hand a lot today, John. Um, that really helped their discussion and allowed a lot of, allowed everyone to share their ideas equally. Yep. Um, for those PE teachers, and when something's maybe not going as well for a kid that 
they were wanting, you can say stuff, stuff like, I saw that even though today's basketball dribbling task cards were tough for you, you kept trying. That persistence will help you reach the fitness goals you set for yourself. I mean, there's, and there's, and there's, you can say those individually, you can say them group wise. I mean, I remember teaching a math concept that was challenging for the whole group, uh, not even two weeks ago. And uh, it was on the idea of rounding. And when I looked at the pre-assessment, overall, the class struggled with rounding. And at the end of the rounding lessons, when I noticed that every student had gotten it, at the end of, the, at the end of it, I called everyone's attention to it and said, kind of, remember when you guys thought rounding was actually really hard? Well, I noticed everyone getting the rounding problems with no issue. Um, and so that's what we mean by, like, a reinforcing language. It was, mm-hmm. It's specific, it's targeted, and it's concrete. Yep. And you notice that it was positive, too. I didn't say, you guys did an awesome job with figuring out rounding. Yeah, because that's what ends up, um, the kids see through that, you know? It may feel good at first, but then it's just like sugar. It gives no nutrients. Right. Um, so you're, you're specific. You indicate that they hit a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and But it still ends up feeling positive, but directed and targeted. Um, now, something that I will say uh, as a specialist teacher and we do a lot of skill work um, and because we're doing a lot of skill work we're often doing a lot of correcting and reteaching sometimes as hard as it is especially during concert season or you know game season tournament season um, you have to step back you need to just listen and watch because the constant correcting and reteaching can actually end up being really discouraging for the students. Um, watch, notice, say the positive things that you're seeing. And as students relax, then some of the other stuff will fall into place. Yeah. Really- and if needed, then you can do a bit of reteaching, but don't constantly be reteaching. No. Um, and a good one for the beginning of the year uh, would be everyone tries to settle up a carpet routine or a circle routine mm-hmm. um, or a morning meeting routine. And I know at the beginning of the year, I had to get my kids to redo coming up to the carpet and to the morning meeting circle quite a few times. And so I made the emphasis to them. But the first time they did it right, I said, I noticed everyone came up for morning meeting in a polite and quiet way and sat down in their places. It's reinforcing something concrete that they did well. If you have any students who are shy, they definitely need that reinforcing language, but a lot of them actually need it privately. So it'll be things where you pull them to the side and you know give them that reinforcement privately rather than in front of the group. Because if they're really shy and the whole group then looks at them because they just did something that, you know, the teacher really liked, that can put them on the spot and make them feel really uncomfortable. It can actually have the opposite effect for some students. Yeah. Um, so just uh, the, the quiet kids are often ones who need that reinforcement uh, and often very directly and sometimes publicly, depending on who they are. Some of them don't mind the public uh, reinforcement and some of them uh, really do actually, and some of them kind of find it, find it quite embarrassing and detrimental. Um, so you know your kids better and just kind of get a gauge for that. Yeah. Now, going back to that math rounding thing that you were talking yeah. about with your kids, that's actually a really good key thing as well because what you're doing there is you're helping the students recognize their learning history. Yeah. 
And you're basically saying, look, guys, used to be less skilled. Now you're more skilled and helping them recognize that that's a great source of reflection. And in so many of our schools these days, that's part of our curriculum is to teach reflection. So now you've got this positive language, which is feeding right into your curriculum goal. Yeah. Now, always remember, by the way, when you do it, um, that you kind of name what name name what they're doing. It's very, very, very specifically. For example, um, if you've got a class that's talking about, bear in mind, this can be done with negative behaviors as well. Sure. If you've got a class that usually talks over each other, but has a respectful whole group discussion one day, you could say, hey guys, I noticed you were patient, waited for each other's turns. I also noticed that some of you were very thoughtful when adding on to what other people said. That really helped deepen our discussion. Mm. Very, very specific, very, very targeted. Yes. Now... Well, let me give you the compare-contrast. Let's say you got a student who's writing an essay. Okay. Uh, They want to support their argument with actual evidence. Instead of saying, hey, Alicia, I'm glad you seem to be understanding how facts and opinions are different. Try, hey, Alicia, you included a lot of specific details that support your position on the question. Using factual information in that way will help you make make your persuasive you're writing persuasive to others. So you're also giving her a goal inside of that reinforcement, which is really good. It gives them the target, gives them the goal, all in one go, without being, sounding like you're, elect, you're lecturing them or giving mm-hmm. them long-winded, a long-winded speech. Um, the other thing that a lot of teachers do, uh, especially on the female side, especially in the primary area, Um, is we need to remember to address our students respectfully. Now, a lot of people will be like, of course I'm respectful to my students. But I have to say, how many times have you heard a student called, not by name, but as, hey, bunnies, kiddos, friends, um, sweetheart, honey, all of those little pet nicknames, although they can be cute and endearing, also actually end up showing a lack of respect because the students don't necessarily know that you know what their name is. Yes. And I got to say, hand up, there have been times when I've called somebody sweetheart because I can't remember what their name is. No, and, and I think that's a, that's a rare exception. I mean, I, I know what, obviously, what my kids are. I'm a homeroom teacher. Um, but if I were to meet any of the other kids in third grade, and there's a lot of them at my school, I don't know their names. I know a few. Mm-hmm. That's not my own class, but I don't know many. It's not so necessarily it's a good thing when you know a few others. Uh, actually, in this case, positively. Okay, good. It's good, yeah. Um, so it's understandable how you might drop a kiddo, but you know what's often helpful? Ask them their name again. Yeah, I've started doing that this year. I have started saying, I'm sorry, I can't remember your name. And you know what? I end up with kids coming up to me, even my fifth and sixth graders, saying they'll come up and they'll say, Miss... Uh, uh, I can't remember your name now. It happens. Yeah. We all have those brain farts. And when you're at the beginning of the year and you're learning 200 new names, it happens a lot. So I basically have started asking rather than just sitting there in embarrassment and substituting something else. Yeah. I mean, and I know we talked about earlier about how you can use reinforcing language as questions. Mm -hmm. Just to give an example of that. Uh, Let's say you've got a student who was really struggling to give effective presentations, and all of a sudden they do. Hmm. You could say, hey, uh, John, I noticed that you gave a very effective presentation just then. What did you do different? 
that allowed your presentation to be more effective. Ah. Or uh, let's say you've got a student who's struggling with uh, some three-digit addition strategies, which is something we do in third grade, and a student gets it and they understand it more. You could say, hey, Jennifer, I noticed that um, you were able to uh, do those three-digit addition questions better today or you, you were able to solve them. What did you do different today? What strategies did you try today that allowed you to figure things out? So you do a question versus a just statement. Right. Absolutely. We've talked a bit about re- reinforcing language. And the other type we want to talk about today is reminding language. Now, this is often purpose-driven to remind students of expectations, i.e. it's logical consequences driven to a great degree. And it's also, it's one of those things where, especially with your little ones, well, even with my oversized little ones, there are times when I can see that little glimmer of mischief in an eye and I know what they're about to do. Yep. And with a little bit of reminding language, I can nip that in the bud without causing embarrassment, uh, without making them lose face or anything like that. Yeah. Now there are certain hallmarks or ways to do effective reminders. First one, uh, they're based on clearly established expectations that they know beforehand. That way there's no surprises. Mm -hmm. Uh, They may be a question or they may be a statement. Uh, they're typically proactive or reactive. Depends on what's happening. It can, yeah. it can either happen before behavior or after something. Uh, they're used when a teacher and child feel calm and they're brief. Okay, let me get to that brief one first. Teachers, when they get annoyed, have a habit of lecturing. Oh my gosh, I am so guilty of that. I, I used to be, I will admit. This year I've been much better with it. And the responsive classroom kind of says... Number one, they tune out after a couple seconds. Number two, uh, why lecture? It's a waste of your time and theirs. Mm -hmm. So name the behavior and the reminding behavior, and away you go. If there needs to be a logical consequence, either get them involved in the logical consequence or state what the consequence will be. But it's the idea that you don't want to go long-winded here. Um, The other one, which is really hard to do, but needs to be reminded of, is use when you and the child feel calm. Now, we can get heated as teachers, and that's understandable. We are human beings. But try not to use reminding language in the heat of being annoyed. Hmm. Easier said than done. Understandable. But if you are calm when you're using reminding language, it won't come off as an attack, punitive, or harsh. And remember, especially if you are uh, somebody who teaches middle school or high school, their brains are wired to see negativity. That's been a study that's been done a couple times and it keeps coming back with, you know, the students feel like they're getting yelled at or in trouble, even if you don't feel like they're getting yelled at or in trouble. So if you need to take a step away and tell the student, we're going to talk about this when both of us feel calm, yep. then tell them that. If you know they're superheated, then tell them, go take a break in the quiet area mm-hmm. until you're ready to talk. And then when you are, we'll have a conversation about this. So, and a couple things to watch for yep. is sometimes um, we start using reminding language when we haven't thoroughly taught something. Right. 
And we need to make sure that we really have thoroughly taught something before we remind them of it. Yeah. Because it could be that because we hadn't taught it well enough is why they're not doing what we want them to do. Right. So do make sure that you have taught this concept or skill or whatever it is, routine, thoroughly before you start using reminding language with it. And if it happens consistently, then you may want to ask your kids what's confusing about the procedure or what's confusing about what's going on that may help you address Mm-hmm. The need. And that way it might not be reminding what you need to do. It might be more like uh, modeling. Yeah. And again, with that, when you are asking, keep your body language positive, keep your tone positive, keep your language positive. Because if you're sitting there going, what don't you get about this is not going to come off the way you want it to. Exactly. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we, again, we can form these in the form of, we can use these in the form of questions. Uh, like for example, if you get the kids coming to the carpet, they don't do it right a few times. You can say, what do you need to be doing right now? That is the correct way of coming to the carpet for morning meeting. Mm-hmm. Or, um, if you have a snack time, you may, and some people start getting to it before, before it's the right time. You may go, all right, everyone, when is the correct time for getting our snacks out? Uh, so that sort of language is more like it puts the onus on them um, and kind of it's a reminder of what the correct behavior is by asking a question. Now, if you are wanting or needing to change your language, there are, you, I mean, it's not going to happen overnight. Nope. You've got to scaffold yourself. You can't just go right in and have everything changed. So you might want to focus on one class or one type of language first Um, And something else that you might want to do, which is just becoming good practice anyway, record yourself teaching. Take note of what you say, how you say it, what your body language is, um, and see if you can make a few changes there. Then you can also make yourself an anchor chart. Yep. I mean, we date them for the kids all the time. So why not? Exactly. Um, so let me give you some other responsive classroom, uh, reminding language that kind of be in action. Uh, my favorite one, especially during, during transi- transitions is what do you need to be doing right now? Mm. Now that's a good one for a whole class or for a specific student. Hey, Jamal, what do you need to be doing right now? Um, or if you're waiting for the class to get lined up by the door, just simply say, Hey, we'll go whenever one is ready. When you've shown me what a, what a line looks like. Um, or um, if someone has a habit of just blurting out, what could, you, what could you do if you have a question? And that's a regular one for third graders, I will readily admit. It is a very regular reminder for third graders. And second graders. Yes. And kindergarten. Yep. Uh, for all of them. Yeah. Um, if you get a kids, if you get a bunch of kids who have a habit of just throwing books into the library, and that happens, you can say and kind of go, "How do we plan on taking care of the books, or what does it look like to take care of our classroom library?" Yeah, and this is where you go back to those classroom rules, those three classroom rules, and you know you can say, "Well, how are we keeping whatever it is safe?" Right, um, and it's it's, it's just it, it's language that's short and sweet and to the point, like. Show me a safe way to do that. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, Alicia, safety rules. Remind yourself of the safety rules today. Now, one last thing for you, the teacher. If you are using reminding language or reinforcing language, but you end up not saying it correctly, 
Correct yourself publicly. Yep. Oops, I should have said this. This, you know, or oops, this is what I should have said instead. And then you're actually modeling what students can do when they make a mistake. Right. So there is one more type of language which doesn't actually appear in the specialist book, but it appears in the responsive classroom course for elementary educators, if yep. you go to that. And that one is redirecting language. Yeah. Now, redirecting language is a language that's used to keep external control and to keep kids safe and productive when their self-control is starting to fail them. Uh, there are certain characteristics of it. It should be direct and specific. Names the desired behavior, is brief, again, again, no mm -hmm. lecturing, uh, sets firm limits if you need to, and makes a statement instead of asking a question. So this is one that is statement-driven, ah. uh, but always to the positive. For example, you got a bunch of kids running down the hall, he would say, walk, as opposed to stop running. Okay, so you wouldn't say, how should we move through the hallways? You could do that as a reminding language. But if you want to choose to do a redirecting language, you would go walk. Okay. Uh, for example, if someone didn't get the directions, you wouldn't say, you didn't get the directions out. You might say, stop, wait to hear the directions, and then we can go on. Uh, or if, if people are talking a lot, you wouldn't say, you guys shouldn't be talking right now. You might go, hey, everyone, it's time to listen. This is direct, straightforward, and gives an immediate goal right away. It's interesting because I actually do a lot of that in my classroom already. Yes, and a lot of us do, but I think the thing that a lot of us also do is naming the negative behavior instead of the positive. Yes. Which tends to be what redirecting language is all about. For example, uh, instead of saying, guys, your helpers aren't here to clean this up, you would instead say, everyone, clean up your work area. You know, you just pointed out the fact that you work in a very rich area. No. <laughs> yep. Um... Or, for example, it says, it sounds, you would never say something like, it sounds like everyone needs to work harder. You would go, just a reminder that we need to put our, our greatest effort into everything we're doing. It's time that we do this assignment now. Um, keeping it brief is also critically important here um, because, again, they'll switch off if you don't. Um, great one for third grade. Hands down until the speaker finishes talking. Or... Hey, everyone, take a look at the chart. What chart? Anchor charts on the wall. Oh. Or So like you, where the reminder would be. Yes. Okay. You would redirect them away from chatting with each other to, I, hey, everyone, it's time we look up at the chart. Um, during independent work sessions, a good one for younger, young, young and kids. Hey, everyone, just a reminder that scissors are only meant for cutting paper. Or... Hey, everyone, we need to remind ourselves that we clean up the areas around us, including the paper on the floor. Oh, the bits of paper on the floor. Yeah. I don't even use paper in my classroom most days, and I still get paper on the no, floor. I don't know how it gets there. Um, or if you have, say, job roles, and one of those is the clean-up job role, you might mm -hmm. go, reminder that, you know, Jennifer, it's time for you to help clean up with Matthew. Hmm. So... It's a redirecting language to direct them to the right way of doing things, which is a third type of language that's very tied into reminding and can often, reminding language is often used instead. Um, but redirecting is very, very helpful because it tells them exactly what they should be doing in that moment. So it can be very, very good. Right. Um, it doesn't come under reminding. It is distinctly different, 
that it is less question-filled, but it's very valuable. Yeah, and I guess it would kind of go a little bit more towards the safety of stuff. Yes, or the correct way of doing things. Yeah. All right, so those are the three R's of teacher language, reinforcing, reminding, and redirecting. Hopefully you got something out of this. Yes. Um, And if you have questions then please tweet to us at Teaching Brute. And as always, we're in this series, we are plugging responsiveclassroom.org and at responsiveclassroom. Uh, these are the people who started, and by no means are we the absolute experts on this. Not but, even close. Nope, but they are. Definitely. So if you have big questions about Responsive Classroom, tweet at them. And, and tweet at us at the same time. Absolutely. We'd love to get your feedback uh, yeah. if this was useful or not. Yes. Um, please let us know. Leave us some comments. Leave us some feedback. Send us an email, admin at teachingbrood.com. Or go to www.teachingbrood.com. That's all for this one. Have a great week. Enjoy.